The Jazz went on a little bit of a losing stretch. Rich and I critique some of their recent struggles, as well as what Rudy Gay can add to this team moving forward. Also, who's a legitimate threat in the NBA right now? Plus, Utah Utes football is kicking off against the Oregon Ducks in a primetime game this weekend. Rich and I go over last week's game against Arizona and preview the ABC matchup come tomorrow. That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. NHL season is underway and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection, however they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the nets wins you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back, everyone. It's so good to be back after a quick week hiatus. Sadly, we couldn't do an episode last week because I was traveling going to the U of A game for Utah football, which we will be able to talk about in a few minutes. But as always, we got to get jazzy with it. we got to start out taking some notes with the Utah Jazz. Richie, they've been looking a little bit different than what we talked about a few weeks ago. And that has to attest to them losing three of four uh, just over this past, this past week and a half or so against some teams that might have come in question, teams that I'm not going to lie, I thought we could beat pretty easily, but... We found a, a difficult stretch going up against the Heat and the Pacers um, and the Orlando Magic. What really stood out to you from that small stretch that the Jazz had going where they just couldn't seem to find a way to win it? So we start on a four-game road, uh, on a three-game road trip um, in this kind of losing stretch. And we beat the Hawks, and then we lose back-to-back games against the Heat and the Magic. The Heat game is close. Um, I mean, I thought the Jazz played a decent game all things considered. And it wasn't like a horrible loss. Like it's not one that you beat yourself up about. The Magic also played a really good game against the Jazz and there were bright spots for the Jazz that game. So I didn't, neither of those games really bugged me. We came back home, we beat the Hawks again, and then we played the Pacers. And I think the overlining story of this game was the Rudy Gobert, Miles Turner, a little scuffle, which was, I mean, the game was already way out of hand. It did nothing besides get the, Fans really excited about the game. Um, but the story to me at that Pacers game was how bad the Jazz were at rebounding. And the Pacers rebounded, had 18 more rebounds, um, total rebounds, than the Jazz did that game. A lot of those coming on the offensive end. 
Um, a lot of times Rudy would get pulled out to the paint where he was guarding Sabonis or Turner, who are both capable three-point shooters. Um, and so Rudy would get pulled out of the paint. And then the rest of our guys kind of have to go get the rebounds. I think TJ McConnell had probably five or six offensive rebounds that game where he was just beating his guys or he was just taking advantage of um, jazz players not paying attention. And he was crashing the boards and getting offensive rebounds. And so that's why the jazz couldn't get into that game um, in that game. And also they just had a really slow start. Um, I think we've seen that even in their wins, um, their recent wins. We started slow against the Raptors. Um, we started strong against the 76ers. That was no problem. They were um, poorly equipped. But we also started slow against the Heat. And on a Jazz team where so much of your game depends on your offense and your shot making, um, really you just have to be focused more and you have to come out the gates firing. Um, and I think we've kind of address that in part, but I think that's something that we're going to continue to work on throughout the season. Um, but really those two losses, the Pacers and the Heat one, they stand out to me more than the rest. Um, I think we should say that the Heat are definitely a contender this year. They're a really good team. Tyler Hero is having a great year. Um, Jimmy Butler's playing great basketball. Duncan Robinson's doing his thing. Um, Bam Adebayo will probably be a front runner for defensive player of the year. Like the Heat are a legit team. Didn't even mention Kyle Lowry. Um, and so, you know, those two losses against the Heat, they don't really hurt you that much. Um, looking kind of with a bigger perspective, the soonest we can meet that team is the NBA Finals in a postseason. But at the same time, this Heat team kind of exposed our weaknesses. And I think we have a couple weaknesses that we'll need to address. Um, and the first one of those is, we're just not a tough team. And we've seen this throughout the last couple of years, honestly, we're getting out toughed by teams. Um, I thought the Clippers last year in the playoffs were a lot more tough than us. I even thought the Grizzlies were more tough than us. They just had a lot less skill. And that's why we won that series. Um, I think this jazz team is, I don't know. It kind of just feels like we're like a frail old lady. Sometimes, you know, I feel like we're just walking across the street and sometimes we just get hit by a bus, you know? Um, and honestly, I, I feel like the heat, the Clippers, uh, the Bucks are a physical team. Um, I feel like there's just a lot of teams like that in the NBA that are getting the best of the jazz and the jazz really have to be aware that that's a weakness of their team. And they have to be able to figure out some ways to address that by getting more tough and by playing their game of basketball, because the jazz have established what they want to do on offense and they've established that it works, that it's sustainable that they can do it for a full season um, and more and that it can also work in the playoffs. Um, but we really kind of have to establish more of our identity from a physical standpoint. And I think a lot of that comes on defense too. Um, I don't think the jazz have played good defense um, for reference. The jazz right now are fifth in offensive rating and we're like 11th in defensive rating. Um, and that's saying a lot because our shot making has been so poor this year that we're still fifth in offensive rating. Um, I think that speaks a lot to our offensive ability, but our defense, which in the last couple of years has been one, two or three um, has taken a bit of a um, tumble. And I think that the jazz are going to need to address that. And at the end of the day, Rudy Gobert is really good and he's an incredible defender. He'll go down as honestly a top 10, maybe even top five defender of all time in the NBA. 
Um, but it's a five player game. You know, you got five people on each team and the jazz need more out of their other guys. And looking, looking at some of the adjustments, um, I think there's a lot to be happy about. I think the jazz will be a better team, but those two losses, the heat and the Pacers loss, those are going to hurt for a while. Yeah, they, they were very frustrating in the moment as well. Obviously I know that you were able to attend both of those games at home. So it's a little bit different, but especially I got to say coming watching those games as a Utes fan and seeing TJ McConnell drop 21 was just, oh man, it was tough. I didn't like that guy in college, but I mean, it got to respect his game. And I, I absolutely agree with you on the toughness uh, perspective as well. There are moments in every game where you can definitely tell that the other team wants it more than Utah does. And I think that, that that's very concerning, but at, at the same time, I know for sure that Donovan has a different mentality when it comes to playoff time. Like he's proven it in the last two or three years that when it gets to postseason, he just looks like a, a he enhances his game by another level. And he becomes one of those players that everyone around the league loves to watch when it comes to the playoffs. Again, though, I, I see at times when players, I, I see moments with Gobert and with Bogey, times where it just seems like it's a little lax. And I, I think that especially in today's league, and especially this year, I just think the league as a whole is very, it's a lot more balanced than it has been in the past. I think any team can be another team on any given night. Um, and it, it, even though some teams are obviously have less depth than others, I just think that it's, it's going to be a very entertaining year for the NBA. And so, especially with the Jazz losing to the Magic and the Pacers, I, I just, it, there were moments, especially when I thought, this this jazz team has the skill like they have the depth the talent um but it all comes down to really who wants them more i mean analysts talk about that all the time it comes down to your mentality and at, there were there's definitely been a lot of moments critical moments i would say coming down to um even in the like you said the beginning of the games they're not starting off very strong i just think that's where the jazz really need to fine tune how they really want to work out their their kinks and like you were talking about on defense there have been moments where players have been able to step it up. We were talking yesterday about Donovan Mitchell and his, his ability to create steals the, these past few weeks as well. He's he's said it openly. He really wants to improve his defensive game. Um, but also we know that Mike Conley is getting older. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm attributing it to his age, but you can see that he's also getting beat on some cuts. Like we were able to see TJ McConnell was able to expose a lot of things like you were talking about in that Pacers game. Um, and obviously there's some other players who just aren't really that good at, at defense. Um but something that I think really stood out to me, and I, I think all of Jazz Nation yesterday um, in the Jazz's game, was obviously the addition of Rudy Gay coming back. Um, obviously, we knew that in the offseason with the limited options that the Jazz had, they made the most out of what they had in terms of trying to improve the depth of their team. That's something that we talked about last season with. We, we seemed to have about eight or nine guys that were pretty good, and then it kind of got down when we're trying to dig deep with some of those guard positions, you know, talking about George's Niang, obviously Derek Favors backup center, who was trying to improve from the year before with Tony Bradley. Now you have these vets that come in and the jazz are now one of the oldest teams in the NBA in terms of experience. What did you see from Rudy Gay or what effect do you think that he can have on this jazz team moving forward? One thing I really like about Rudy Gay is he does the little things. Um, I was watching the, the game film earlier this morning. And there was one play where 
Rudy Gobert gets beat off the dribble. Jordan Clarkson's in the paint and helps Rudy Gobert, and they force a double team. Meanwhile, Jordan Clarkson's man cuts into the paint, and he's wide open, and they're about to force that pass to the guy open in the paint. And Rudy, Go- Rudy-, Rudy Gay drops and defends that guy and blocks him right at the rim. And so he just does so many little things. He's a high IQ player. Um, I don't think we're going to see him go, How what was he, like 7 of 8 last night for 20 points. I don't think we're going to see that every night. I think we got to be a little bit realistic. But at the same time, as he himself said, he said, um, you know, I'm almost at 20,000 points, and a lot of those are three-pointers. He's a good shooter. He knows what he's doing around the NBA. He knows how to score, and he knows how to get his buckets. He knows how to get to his spots. So I really like that. Um, one thing I feel like our second unit has lacked is ball movement. And when you when you have ball movement, I, I, can't, I can't stress this enough. When you have ball movement, your team is just going to be so much better. And we're really seeing that with the Warriors this year. The Warriors are constantly moving the ball. I mean, we've seen it for years with the Warriors, but it's more prevalent this year because they're a contender again. Um, the Warriors, they move around the ball. Everybody is moving. Um, they're able to find mismatches. If they don't just do a Steph Curry ISO every play, and honestly, they probably could do that, and they probably win a lot of games. But they exploit the other team's weaknesses by moving around. And Quinn Snyder has this philosophy um, that, you know, you kind of take you take advantage of defensive disadvantages. Um, and every time you move the ball, you're exploiting more of a disadvantage. For example, um, Jordan Clarkson will beat somebody off the dribble and he'll drive into the paint and then he'll kick out. Um, so he kind of has that first advantage on that guy by beating him off the dribble. Then he'll pass it to Joe Ingles um, outside. And then Joe Ingles already has a bigger disadvantage because of the disadvantage that Jordan Clarkson created. And as they keep moving the ball around, they'll keep creating bigger disadvantages until they get a really a good look. And I feel like we saw that a lot last year and we've seen it a bit this year, but it's kind of this philosophy where you keep the ball moving until you get the right look and you keep creating little disadvantages until you finally get a big disadvantage that creates an easy shot. Um, and I think Rudy, Go- Rudy Gay really helps with that. Um, Eric Pascal was great in his minutes. Um, he played hard defense. He made a lot of really high energy plays and I think he filled the role of Georges Niang better than Georges Niang did. But I also feel like we missed that shooting that Georges Niang brought. Um, And I think that's something that we get back with Rudy Gay. Not to mention Rudy Rudy Gay is a really good defender. Um, Like I said, he's been around the league for 15 seasons, almost 16 now. And he knows his way. He's played in a lot of good defenses. He's played... Uh, he played for that Memphis team, that grit and grind Memphis team. That was really good. He played for the Kings for a while. They're never, they were never a good defense. I won't lie. Um, but his years with the Spurs where the Spurs have been kind of the hallmark for good defense in the NBA for like the last 20 years. And he played a really good role there. And so I think he's going to have a big impact in a lot of these games. A lot of what people are excited about with Rudy Gay is that he um, allows us to play small ball. And I think, yeah, he does allow us to play small ball. That's fair. Um, you can play a decent small ball lineup with Rudy Gay, but he actually allows you to play big ball. Um, I think we can run layups. We can run lineups where we're with Rudy Gay, Rudy Gobert, Royce O'Neal, 
Donovan and Mike. That's a really solid lineup. You're not losing any shooting. Um, you're getting more of a defensive advantage by having more size, as well as a second rim protector where Bojan Bogdanovic, frankly, just isn't that second defender that you need sometimes. And so I think that gives you more flexibility. That's why I really like this Rudy Gay signing. Um, we've saw, we saw what he could do in one game. I think we're going to see a lot of really good things. And I kind of hope we keep his minutes limited because I really want him to be healthy come playoff time. And I don't know. I can't, I can't stress how excited I am about Rudy Gay and what he adds to this Jazz team because I feel, I feel like he fixes a lot of problems. Yeah, and I think he'll be able to fix a lot of the problems that we were just talking about in the stretch that the Jazz had. And something that really stood out to me, at least from, because we know he was on a minutes restriction because he's obviously coming back from a little bit more of a serious injury, was even if he's not at 100%, just the athleticism that he provided in that in that bench unit is completely different than what we saw from the bench unit in last year's Jazz team. Because as much as we love Georges Niang when he had you know his, his few stretches of really good shooting, it just felt like, I mean, he, he's not the most athletic guy. And Derek Favors had a lot of really good moments. I'm, I'm going to say, like, he he had his really good moments. But obviously, it looks like he's kind of in his waning years in his NBA career. Even though Rudy Gay is in his 16th NBA season, he provides a lot of athleticism to help with the ball movement that the second unit was needing. Because I absolutely agree with you. You look at moments when Jordan Clarkson's out there leading this, this second bench, and it just seems like it's a lot of ISO situations, which was creating a problem for Clarkson shot as well, which he seems to be finding a little bit more of a rhythm as the season goes on. But this is an interesting jazz team that if they can be able to fine tune those things that we were talking about or, or what they need to work on, this can be a very good team. We know that. And I think the league knows that, that the jazz can be a, a really good threat, but like you were talking about, there's another team out in the West that's been creating a lot of hype that as the jazz have been kind of going down for a little bit, the Warriors have kind of been taking a little bit of a stride and going on a really good run. A lot of people are saying, hey, you know, they're only good because, you know, they're playing these lower tier teams. They had a really good stretch at home, a long stretch at home. Now they're going on a road trip and now they're starting to beat teams that are a little bit better. And now they're like, OK, yeah, these guys are legit. And obviously you have to look at Steph Curry because he's putting up absolutely incomparable numbers. He's looking like the MVP Steph Curry. We we've grown to see. Um, three or four years ago, and now he has a team, like you said, that knows how Steve Kerr's system works. And I think the past two or three years where they weren't the Warriors that we were used to, I think it's all in preparation for now. These players have more experience in the league. Now you still have the same three guys that are the face of the Warriors in Draymond, Steph, and Clay coming back. This can be a very dangerous team once again. And as much as I was excited to see the Warriors decline after a small de uh, dynasty, it seems like they might be coming back. What are your thoughts on the Warriors and their threat in the West? They're, they're just a good team. Um, Steph Curry, I just think it was, I think it's funny. After the finals last year, we were so sure that one of the two best players, the two best players in the NBA and in the world were Giannis and Kevin Durant. I think that was everybody's consensus. Um, but the way Steph Curry has changed that narrative by helping his team win games this year is incredible because I really do think that Steph Curry is definitely in that conversation. He's one of the three best players in the world right now. Um, he's playing so good. And he's the, 
I mean, he's the easy story to cover when you're watching the Warriors because Steph does his thing every night and he makes it look so easy and he's he's great. But there's also a lot of other underlying stories that are going great for the Warriors. Um, so they're 13-2 and two right now. I feel like that win against Brooklyn was really the marquee win that they needed to finally be getting that talk like, okay, yeah, this team is legit. They're definitely a contender. Um, they, they're fun. Um, but I feel like a lot of things that they've done well this year that they didn't do last year and that they just didn't have last year is they've added some veteran presence that I feel like has really helped the Warriors play in a system and the system is let Steph Curry do his thing while everybody else plays smart. Um, you don't have to have anybody else really forcing shots. The shots are going to come to them because Steph Curry demands so much attention while he's on offense. Um, a lot of Warriors fans are mad that the Warriors don't run more pick and rolls. I think they run like 20 for every 100 possessions that Steph Curry's on the floor and they want him to be running more pick and rolls because, you know, the pick and roll, it's, it's great. It helps to force an open shot. Um, but honestly, just having Steph Curry is basically a pick and roll in itself because the idea behind a pick and roll is you get two guys on one guy, you get two guys created and one guy gets open. Right. But when you have Steph Curry, every time he's moving around, you're kind of just, he's in a, he's a magnet. Somebody's watching him. The whole team is watching him. They want to see what he does because he's going to be the guy that kills you. And so now that the Warriors have kind of implemented some of these other guys that are good playmakers that are capable, that will do their thing. Um, guys like Andre Iguodala, who looked so bad for the Miami Heat last year, but is having a great year for the Warriors again. Um, Nemanja Bialica is another one of those guys. Otto Porter um, is instantly fitting into a great role with the Warriors. And these guys can hit shots. They can um, make plays and they'll make the smart plays. And that's what the Warriors desperately lacked last year. And so the Warriors in their last 10, they're nine and one, they're 13 and two on the season and things look good for them. I also think their rookie presence, um, Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, I think both of those guys help them. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga has probably the worst nickname. We won't get into that, but it's, I don't know. I, I like the guy though. He, he plays tough defense and he's, a high-flying guy, and he'll probably help the Warriors down the stretch of the season as some guys eventually might get injured or whatever happens. Andrew Wiggins is also having a career season. Um, we were talking about how Andrew Wiggins was washed last year and how the Warriors should trade him and get rid of him. Now he's looking like their second-best player. Um, and we haven't even talked about Jordan Poole yet, who's having a great season and who, once Clay comes back, will be a really good sixth man for this Warriors team. So, I mean, they're 13-2. and two. They don't even have Clay Thompson yet, who is just a guy you can plug in. You can make him just sit in the corner, and they'll be a good team. Um, and he'll probably do more for them than that. So, the Warriors are scary. As a Jazz fan, I'm scared of the Warriors. I mean, we've been, we've been scared of the Warriors for a long time. And what, what sucked was, even when the Jazz were starting to get good again and start to get back to the playoffs, that was in the dead middle of that Warriors dynasty. Um, some of, you know, my favorite teams, uh, you know, with that, that 16, 17 team, you know, you had George Hill and, and Gordon Hayward and, you know, this is decent team. They had a, a good solid series against the Clippers. And then it's like, oh, well, our season's over. Cause you know, now we're playing the Warriors and it wasn't really a surprise to get swept in four. something that I think really has stood out to me 
especially this year with the Warriors, is like we were talking earlier was ball movement, but it's the quickness that you can see of how much how quick their plays run. It is insane because obviously when you have Draymond Green running it, you know, owning the post, they they have a lot of athletes. Any of their five guys on the floor can move very quickly. And so you see that the plays that they run, my gosh, you blink and it's almost over. And then you have Steph as a lights out shooter. It's a very fun team to watch. And especially like you were talking about in that Brooklyn game, Brooklyn's kind of a team where I, I'd love to see them work out. Th- it just seems like every time they play, it's a lot of one-on-one matchups, a lot of ISOs. They're really, it seems like they're really relying on the talent that they were able to acquire, but they're not really to work out a system yet. I really want to see Steve Nash try and figure something out in Brooklyn and see that they can possess an identity as a team and something in their schematics. But the Warriors just seem to have the same type of offense every year. And now that you said they've added experience, they've added vets, and then you have the same familiar faces, especially if you add Clay. I mean, even if you put that dude with, you know, his one good leg in, and like you said, you plop him in the corner, he is, a, I would say, one of the best shooters of all time in NBA history if you just look at his statistics. And so now you have him and Steph back probably come playoff time. That is an absolutely dangerous team. And what I think gives me more comfort this year as a jazz fan is the jazz are more equipped to handle a Warriors team like this more than they were in the past in the middle of their dynasty. But like I said, this, this NBA season is going to be very fun and entertaining to watch. I just think that there's not really a team where I'm kind of like, eh, I don't really want to watch these guys when a game is on because every team now has either that one guy or that one like scheme that you just really want to watch or, I don't know. It's just, it's just seems like it's going to be a very exciting season moving forward. I know we're a little bit in, but I just think it's going to get better and better as the season goes along. But something we have to talk about in terms of teams in the West is some college football, because we probably have the best game ever this season between two Western team powerhouses, between a Utah Utes team that has bounced back from a terrible start, one and two start against an Oregon Ducks team that as of right now, is in the college football playoff. This is, a, this is a game that is very intriguing to me, and I think it's very interesting now for the entire country, right? It's put on primetime ABC tomorrow night. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people tuning in. There's just a lot of different profiles that I think a lot of people are putting on both of these teams. Oregon obviously got a lot of hype because right before the college football playoff rankings came out that first time, they were ranked around 8, 9, And then the playoff poll comes out and all of a sudden they're ranked fourth and everyone's going, well, what the heck? And it's very interesting to me because then it brought up the conversation of, well, what does the committee look for? I guess when they're ranking people, right? Because Oregon has a a one loss record now against a very bad Stanford team, but they also have probably the best win out of any college football team this year on the road against Ohio state. But like I said, again, they just seem inconsistent in the way that they play. If you actually watch Oregon play football, this isn't a team that scares me a lot or makes them look to me like the number three team in the country. Um, You look at a game like they played against Cal where they were barely able to beat the bottom team in the North division. Uh, You even look at last week's struggles against a Washington state team that has been absolutely depleted. There's just been a lot of moments where I look at Oregon and I go, are these guys really the number three team in the country? Because they do have those few moments where, man, these guys have athletes, right? I mean, it's Oregon. They're going to have awesome recruiting and get these guys right out of high school. 
But this isn't an Oregon team that I feel is very daunting, especially to a Utah team whose offense is just absolutely on a roll right now. Uh, I think, honestly, the biggest question is going to be that defense going up against the Oregon rushing attack. But you look at these two teams statistically, and it's pretty remarkable how almost dead even Utah and Oregon are statistically on both sides of the ball. So it's number 23 versus number three. This is going to be an electric environment at Rice-Eccles Stadium. I got people who are predicting this is going to be probably the loudest they've ever heard Rice-Eccles. So, I mean, I can't, I can't say that. So you're going to have to report next week on what happened. But what are you expecting from this Utah-Oregon matchup come tomorrow night? Well, I am really excited about how loud it's going to be. I think Rice-Eccles can be a brutal place to play. Um, I think this Oregon team is a really good team. I don't think they're the third best team in the nation, but I think they're a really legit and good team. Um, there's a lot to look um, at this game statistically, especially because of, like you mentioned, how even these teams are. Um, one thing that kind of stands out to me about Oregon that Utah should be watching is they're averaging 297 rushing yards per game um, over their last three games. And, and I mean, the running back, uh, die. Yeah. Travis die. He's, he's a stud. He's good. Um, he's really good. He's, they say he's 92 yards away from his first 1000 yard com- campaign, um, in his senior year. And he's, he's had a stud of a season. He's playing great. Um, and I think he's going to be the guy that Utah is going to be looking at this entire game. Um, looking at their defense, their defense is good. Thibodeau and Sewell, um, Noah Sewell, the brother of Nephi Sewell, they're both studs. They're, I mean, Thibodeau's probably going to be a top three draft pick in this next NFL draft. He's so good on the edge. He's so fast, and he'll probably get to the quarterback one or two times this game. I think that's not unreasonable to say. But at the same time, this Utah O-line is kind of equipped to handle those guys the way that they've been playing the last couple of weeks. And honestly, I don't know what to make out of this game because there's so much going on. Um, I think both these teams are really good teams, and I think – I mean, the stats don't lie. They're, these teams are pretty even. Um, I like the way that Utah has been preparing for Oregon. I think we might have been caught off guard against Arizona because I think mentally we were ready to play Oregon. I think our eyes were all looking at Oregon. I mean, to be fair, Arizona is probably the best one in nine team in the nation. But, you know, they're one in nine. They're not they're not that good. Um, one thing Kyle Whittingham talked about this week on the coaches show is how they've been preparing for Oregon and Oregon has a really good quarterback who's physically six, three, he's strong and he's a good rusher. And funnily enough, Utah kind of has a guy on their bench that doesn't see too much playing time. That is really similar to that. in Jaquindon Jackson, um, Jaquindon Jackson, six, three, and he's big and he's strong and he's a playmaker. So I feel like Jaquin and Jackson was the perfect guy to get this Utah defense ready for this week. And so there's a lot of things I like in the way that Utah has been preparing for this team. Um, it's going to be a brutal environment for Oregon. I think Rice Eccles is going to be on fire. Um, I think Oregon might struggle, but honestly, I think this is going to be just about as close of a game as you can get. And I'm really excited. I have no idea what the outcome is going to look like. I mean, you talk about the stats, but you also got to talk about the uniforms. Man, that's going to be a fire <laughs> matchup tomorrow with, with Utah and those USS Salt Lake City jerseys. 
I mean, I'm a uni guy through and through. So I was absolutely thrilled that we were pulling those out against Oregon, which obviously is known for their uniform combinations. Uh, you brought up that game against U of A. I was, I was able to be there in person. And I mean, when a P5 team is selling tickets uh, front row for like 15 bucks a pop, obviously, you know, they're not having a good season. Right. Um, and also Utah going into that game was favored by more than 24 points. So going in as a fan, obviously we were expecting a very different outcome than what happened. And for me, it wasn't, it wasn't the offense, right? The offense has been very consistent. And we saw that um, through that game. You look statistically, Cam Rising had probably the second best game of this year behind that USC game. Um, he just seems to have command of this offense. And even with Tavion Thomas out, TJ Pledger and Makai Bernard were able to step up and be able to be good rushers. Uh, I think Utah has one of the deepest running back rooms in the country, probably obviously behind Oregon, since Travis Dye was a backup to CJ Verdell. And yet, like you said, he's about to hit the 1,000 yard mark. The thing that concerned me, though, obviously, has got to be special teams still. I don't know what the heck happens when you have three blocked punts in the same season. I've never seen that. Um, and it's it's been very interesting and intriguing to see how things haven't really been fixed. What can they do to fix it? I mean, Coach Whittingham said that it's a coaching error, so it'll be very interesting to see how they can rebound from that because if we continue those struggles, I would not like to see a block punt against Oregon because we do not need that on our conscience. The defense, though, seemed to struggle a little bit with this Arizona offense, mostly because going in, I also expected U of A to pull out a ton of trick plays, just open up the playbook, and that they did. I've probably never seen more trick plays in my life. They did like a dual quarterback system where they were bringing in two different guys running completely different schemes. And so the defense was kind of kept on their heels. It was a fast paced offense they were going up against. And so it was, it was pretty close. So that's kind of the concern that I have going into this ducks game is Oregon's rushing attack is very good. And they do like to go high tempo when they're on a roll. And they just seem to have every rushing play that you could think of, whether it's a counter or a zone read, um, like you said, their quarterback can rush. And that's exactly what they did against Washington state last week, where they would literally just use the read option a billion times. And Anthony Brown was able to have a very good game on the ground as a quarterback. So this is going to be very intriguing to me because Utah's secondary lacks a little bit of depth, but then again, you look at our linebacking core, which is again, one of the top linebackers in the nation and Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell and that front four, who knows, maybe they could be able to break through that Oregon offensive line. This is a team that I just think has the, they have the capability to beat Oregon. The big question though, among Utah fans is do they have the capability to beat the ducks twice in 13 days? Because most likely Oregon and Utah are going to be the two teams facing off in Vegas come December 3rd. And a lot of, the Utah fans are saying, well, we can't really beat Oregon twice, right? So, you know, I'd rather win in the Pac-12 championship. And I'm not going to lie. I had that mentality uh, these past few weeks. I thought, you know, if I were like, I think Utah can win one game. And I think if I want to win a game, obviously it's going to be the Pac-12 championship. So I say, hey, you know what? We can lose this game at home, I guess. But you got to think about it. If Utah loses a game at home to a packed Rice-Eccles crowd, mid-November, right, late November, if they lose there, what makes you think that they can win in an environment in Vegas when it's not a home game and when the other team is probably going to be playing a lot more physical and it's going to be a lot more schematics because it's a championship game? So what makes you think if you can lose at home 
in an incredible environment, but win on in Vegas, it, that just doesn't really make sense to me after that. You also look at the other side. I don't think Oregon can beat Utah twice in two weeks. Um, and so I, I just think that this is, this is such an intriguing end of the season. I think this is going to be a very interesting matchup because I think this could go either way. Like you said, it's, it's up in the air. I'm very interested to see how these teams come out firing tomorrow. But this is going to be a very, very interesting game. And many people have said it's probably the most hyped up and important game probably since that 2010 TCU game, even though we got absolutely wrecked. But in terms of level of importance, it's it's really that that critical um, come, you know, this last stretch of the season. What what do you think you want to see improve the most from what you saw last week with the Utes going into this game against Oregon? What needs to change in order to counterattack the Ducks' attack on the Utes? Well, I really think one thing I really liked that we used, um, specifically in the red zone last week, was our three tight end option. Um, and uh, Kyle Whittingham talked about this as well in the coaching show, how it's one of the hardest options to guard as a defensive back. Um, and I think, I think it's a legit weapon that we have that we might not have used enough this year. Um, all three of our tight ends that get time are capable and they all make big plays and I trust all of them to make big plays. Um, and I think that's something we should look to use more against this Oregon team. That's probably more physical than some of the other teams. Cause I think we're going to need our tight ends to be making some of these plays, um, I'm also curious to see um, how Tavian Thomas starts this game. I think um, missing a week um, can be kind of hard, but at the same time, I really trust Tavian Thomas. He's tough. Um, he's gritty. And I think he um, will probably have a decent game, all things considered. Um, I mean, this Oregon defense is really good. They are designed to stop the run, but I think that's one of our best weapons. And I think Tavian Thomas is, going to be ready to try and exploit that as much as he can. Um, but when it comes down to it on the offensive side of the ball, we just have to trust in Cam Rising. Um, Cam Rising has been having a great year this year. There's no doubt about it. He's made a lot of really good decisions and I think he'll keep making good decisions. Um, one thing that I feel like held us back offensively last week was some of our penalties. And we've kind of seen that in the last couple of weeks, we have these big plays that get taken back because of a penalty. I think TJ Pledger had like a 55 yard run last week and it got taken back because of a penalty um, as well as a big covey, a big throw to Covey. Um, so I think that's kind of one thing that our O-line and anybody that's blocking is going to really have to really work at is no penalties. And I think when it comes down to it, it just comes down to our execution and how well we're able to execute throughout an entire game. Um, I trust in this Utah team. They've been through a lot this season and they've shown at every turn they're ready to take on whichever challenge is in front of them. And I think that they're going to come out on top. Um, looking out at our defensive side of the ball, um, like you mentioned, our secondary kind of is a, is a concern, um, but I really feel like it's going to be a battle in the trenches in this game. And I feel like that's where um, the defense is going to need to be strongest and, I mean, we're, we're designed just as well as they are to stop the run game. Um, so I'm going to be watching our linebackers because I think those are the two guys that are going to be needing to make plays. 
I also really have liked the emergence of Cole Bishop, who has kind of been in that safety linebacker spot. Um, I think he's a stud. And for a freshman, he's playing great. He played probably his best game against Arizona. And I think he's going to need to have another big game for this Utah defense to be able to get a win. Um, so overall, I'm just, I don't know. There's, there's so much that could go wrong, but there's also so much that can go right. And it's going to be, it's going to come down to execution and how well this Utah team can execute against this Oregon team. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a very interesting game come tomorrow. And I think especially like you were talking about on the defensive side of the ball, if there's anyone I trust to rush out to the outside, because that's mostly what Oregon's going to use on their offense is trying to use the outside. If there's anyone I trust to go and tackle a guy out there. It's Devin Lloyd. I mean, that guy's probably one of the fastest linebackers I've seen because he started out as a wide receiver and a safety and was able to move to a linebacker. And man, that dude's built like a linebacker now, but he can still move pretty quick. So like you said, I think that's going to be a very interesting battle tomorrow between the Utah defense and the Oregon offense. So we'll give our predictions in a few minutes, but we got to talk really quickly. We got Utah basketball um, starting off uh, 3-0. and Obviously, you start out with a little bit of lesser opponents, but Utah's kind of able to work out the kinks, work out some rotations. Our man Booth Gotch finally, finally got his waiver, able to come back. And he had a great start. He was able to come out swinging. I think he dropped 11 points in his first game back. The running Utes obviously are in a rebuilding year, right? It's, it's not going to be a year where we should expect them to win a Pac-12 championship. Um, but Craig Smith has said it himself, his goal is to get to the NCAA tournament, and he's got to get through a lot of really good opponents this season. One of those being BYU, who just absolutely demolished Oregon, did not see that one coming. But Utah's got a lot of, a lot of teams to handle, especially in the preseason. This weekend coming up in the Sunshine Slam in Daytona, Florida, they're going to be tipping off against Boston College tomorrow, and then the winner of Rhode Island and Tulsa comes Sunday. But looking back at these past few games, and I guess looking forward to this weekend's tournament, what has stood out to you the most from this run Utes men's basketball team? First of all, I'd like to point out that our first game we played ACU, our third game we played BCU. I really feel like we should have played CCU kind of in that third, that second or third game. Um, that's not important though. Um, I've liked watching this Utah basketball team. They're great. They're, I mean, I don't have super high expectations with this team. I don't think it's fair to have really high expectations with where the program is at right now. But at the same time, I like a lot of things that they're doing differently this year that they didn't do last year. Um, I feel like we never moved the ball last year. And it was Timmy Allen, ISO. And Timmy Allen was great. And we love Timmy Allen. He's balling out at Texas right now. But it was just the same kind of thing every game. It was Timmy Allen, ISO, Alfonso Plummer, deep corner three. Um, and so it's nice this year where the ball is moving. And we're trying to find open shots. And we're trying to exploit mismatches. I think college basketball is so different than the NBA because it's kind of, I mean, it's obviously a lot slower. You got six more seconds on the shot clock, but players just kind of move slower and it's not as spread out. There's not as much ball movement going on, but you really just kind of try to take advantage of mismatches. There's a lot more posting up going on. And I kind of like where this Utah team is right now. I think we have a really good presence inside. I think Carlson and Batten are great for our starting unit. I think they both bring different things, but um, you know, they both add, they both give us shooting and they give us flexibility. And Carlson is a more than capable shot blocker. And they've both been rebounding really well in these first three games. 
I think looking um, at the second unit, you, you bring in Darson Molchich. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but the big man, um, the big transfer who came in, and I think he's a stud. I think he'll punish a lot of teams in the post in their second units. And he's a big guy. He's plays really tough, and I feel like that's what this Utah team needs. Um, the rotations, I don't think we've seen what the final rotation will look like for Utah basketball. We've been exploring a lot of different things. A lot of different guys have been getting looks. We've, um, I think we kind of know who our top five guys are going to be. I think David Jenkins Jr. is in that with Batten and Carlson. I think Booth Gotch is in that, and it'll probably be Worcester at the point guard position. And I trust Worcester. He, he made a lot of really good decisions against BCU. Um, and so, I mean, there's a lot of good things going on with this Utah basketball team. I feel like they still kind of have to figure out their identity and hopefully this weekend they'll kind of be going through their final rotations before getting ready for BYU. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure those first three games were just the, the games that where they got the ro their rotations, right. And I mean, this is their real test this weekend. We're going to see what this team is made of. So go Utes. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I think, uh, especially going on the road, being outside the Huntsman Center, I think we'll be able to see a little bit more of what this team is capable of. The first thing off the bat, and this is no diss to Coach K because Coach K was an absolutely fantastic coach, but seeing the difference between him and Craig Smith has been fascinating because immediately after most of these players are you know going back to the bench after their minutes in the rotation, Craig Smith takes time to talk to them personally and it's been interesting to see how he gets down and he explains to them what he sees and what they can do to improve in their game, which has been fascinating. I, we didn't really see that a lot with Coach K, but he's taking time a lot with his players one-on-one -on -one to explain what they can do better and what this team can do better, which I think is a very fascinating thing to watch, especially as a fan. Um, the the biggest thing I think for me that I've seen between the differences of last year's running needs team and this year's running needs team has to be Brandon Carlson. Um, he was he was a, He's a player that... Obviously, coaches saw potential in high school playing for Bingham. Um, very skinny kid, right? But he's very tall, lean, and he's athletic. I mean, especially being a jazz fan, he's like, he has a lot of the qualities that Rudy Gobert kind of lacks, right? In terms of quickness, shot capability, um, able to be good with the ball in his hands in terms of, you know, moving it and stuff like that. Um, Carlson has definitely been able to improve of how the way he sees the game. And like you were talking about with the ball movement, he seems like he he's that leader that the Utes need down low. I mean, the guy was literally running from the point position up at the top of the key, and he's able to drive it to the basket and put a few moves moves on centers. And I'm like, holy crap, this guy's like a you know seven-foot point guard. Um, but this is a team that I think is very fun to watch, right? Like, again, we don't have a lot of high expectations, but the these are a lot of different players that have a lot of different qualities that I think can add a lot of depth to this Utes team. Uh, David Jenkins Jr. is one that obviously stands out with his shooting capability. We knew that coming into this season. He shot in the 40%, 40 percentage wise uh, from three last year at UNLV, and he dropped 25 on six of nine uh, three-pointers a few nights ago um, in their second game. And so going into this weekend, I, I hope that they can win both of those games on Saturday and Sunday. I think it they obviously have the ability to do so. I mean, Boston College and Rhode Island or Tulsa aren't obviously the greatest opponents, but I think being able to prepare themselves for a really big game with BYU coming into town on November 27th would be absolutely crucial because BYU looks like a very good team, and I think that'll be an awesome challenge for this Utes team, especially 
being a very early game in the season to help prepare them for conference play. Because even though the conference is really good at basketball, right? They had a really good postseason last year in March Madness. They're kind of off to a rough start. Uh, yesterday, that was very apparent with a lot of losses to not that great of opponents. Um, so Utah has a lot of a lot of chances this year, though. I think make a, a good run and finish in a better spot than a lot of people projected them to finish at. Right now, they're projected to be the tenth team in the Pac-12, which I think they can be able to easily um, exceed those expectations. Utah's been able to exceed or or meet their expectations in basketball for probably the past decade. I think they're always picked to finish lower than they actually do, but it'll be a very interesting week. And I think next week we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about with this running needs team and what it'll look like going up against BYU. But of course we got to finish off with our score predictions. We got to talk about that big game, Oregon, Utah. You said, you know, we're kind of on the fence. We don't know which way it'll go, but you said you think the Utes will finish on top. So give us, give us a final score and a game ball. Oh man. I think offense wins this game. I think Tavian Thomas is going to be the guy that carries this offense and breaks the record for touchdowns in a season for Utah. I think he'll finish with two touchdowns this game. Uh, but final score, I'm going to go 38-28. Utes win. Wow, I, I like that. It's nice and comfortable. I'd be very okay with that. <laughs> I went. I went super tight on this one. 35-34 Utah, and it's a it's a game-winning touchdown drive, final few minutes. I know I've probably used this one before, but gosh, I just love those games. You know, it's those like blackout USC games, you know, when you drive down the field and have one of those games that's that's built to remember. And I think the game ball will be given to Brent Keithy. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the tight end group. I think uh, Oregon's coordinators have come out and said that the tight end group of Utah is scary to them and they're kind of concerned. And I think that Utah can use that to advantage, like you pointed out earlier. So my man, Brandt, he's going to get the game ball. Um, I did use Brand as a game ball winner a few weeks ago, and I think I got that one right. I mean, he had two catches for two touchdowns. I mean, it was only like 20 yards, but, you know, we'll count it. Um, <laughs> any final thoughts for us, Rich? No, I don't think so. Okay, go Jazz, go Utes. We'll see you guys next week. Rich and I would like to thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Thatcher Effect. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to future episodes and invite your friends and family to join us on the ride on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to hear more about our episodes, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Thatcher Effect Podcast. We'd like to thank Money Wizard for the intro music and the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. We'll see you guys next week.